How does money from philanthropic foundations distort social and environmental movements? What unique role do the NGO's avas and purpose serve in fostering support for Western imperialist hegemony in the global south? What are the limits to dissent among foundation-funded media? What are the new frontiers of social movement co-optation? How can grassroots activist movements overcome the influence of big-moneyed interests? On this week's Global Research News Hour, we speak to two researchers who have studied the so-called non-profit industrial complex and its impacts on grassroots efforts to challenge the powers that be. My guests are London-based writer and investigative journalist Corey Morningstar and Boston-based blogger and investigative journalist Bob Feldman. On this week's program, the non-profit industrial complex and the parallel left, a conversation with Corey Morningstar and Bob Feldman. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of May 11, 2018. I'm your host, Michael Welch. The Global Research News Hour is a special radio collaboration between the Center for Research on Globalization and campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on occupied Anishinaabe territory on the homeland of the Métis Nation. We seek to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our programs are available at the website globalresearch.ca. We'll begin our show with News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. Following Netanyahu's speech, the White House released a statement of its own, saying Israel's intelligence confirms what the U.S. had already known, that, quote, Iran has a robust clandestine nuclear weapons program that it has tried and failed to hide from the world, unquote. Not long after the White House issued a second statement that changed the word has to had, appearing to suggest that Iran no longer possesses a nuclear weapons program. However, a White House official later explained to NBC News that the wrong tense was the result of a quote-unquote clerical error. Either way, despite the uncompromising anti-Iranian narrative, the prevailing truth appears to be that Iran is in full compliance with the JCPOA, and the main officials involved, including Trump and Netanyahu, are well aware of this. In his April 12th Senate confirmation hearing, then-CIA Director Mike Pompeo, who this week began his tenure as Secretary of State, said he has, quote, seen no evidence that they, Iran, are not in compliance today, unquote. That comes from the article, Iran isn't violating the JCPOA nuclear agreement, America is, by Darius Shatamasebi, posted May 4th, originally appearing at the Anti-Media. On Tuesday, the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, issued an assessment in response to Netanyahu's speech firmly asserting that there are, quote, no credible indications, unquote, supporting Netanyahu's claims of a continued Iranian nuclear weapons program after 2009. According to the AP summary of the IAEA assessment, the UN Nuclear Agency says it believes that Iran had a coordinated nuclear weapons program in place before 2003, but found no credible indications of such work after 2009. 
The documents focused on Iranian activities before 2003 and did not provide any explicit evidence that Iran has violated its 2015 nuclear deal with the international community. The IAEA statements followed on the heels of a number of international Iran analysts weighing in to say there appeared nothing new in terms of evidence which Netanyahu confidently presented as if it were an open and shut bombshell revelation of Iranian malfeasance. That comes from the article, Trump all but decided to withdraw from Iran deal as IAEA refutes Netanyahu's speech. Posted May 3rd, originally appearing at Zero Hedge. What Netanyahu said about the Iranian nuclear program was chestnut. Since the mid-1990s, he is repeating this worn-out stuff like a mantra. He didn't present a single new argument, but for Donald Trump, it will be enough evidence to ultimately scarp the nuclear deal, what he wanted to do from day one of his presidency. The last person in his administration, Defense Secretary James Mattis, still sticks to reality and has declared many times that the Iranian government upholds its obligations. Since Trump kicked out the last moderate members of his cabinet, the U.S. embarked on a course of a war. That comes from the article Netanyahu's Anti-Iranian Reality TV Show by Dr. Ludwig Watzel, posted May 1st. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. My name is Michael Welch, and the program is the Global Research News Hour, recording this week's interview from Radio Western CHRW 94.9 FM here at the University of Western Ontario in London, Ontario, on the traditional territories of the Anishinaabeg, Haudenosaunee, Luna, Piwak, and Adawandaran peoples. Many listeners of this program are by now familiar with the role of corporate advertising in shaping the content and focus of mainstream media broadcasts. Along with the manufacture of consent of the body politic goes the manufacture of dissent, where social, labor, environmental, anti-war movements get co-opted in sophisticated ways. One of the principal mechanisms by which the process is orchestrated is through what is called the nonprofit industrial complex, a web of NGOs interconnected with state and corporate entities which channel activist energies in directions that ultimately don't undermine and more often than not further the ambitions of the elite of the elite. Corey Morningstar is all too familiar with this dynamic. She has written about the NPIC for close to a decade now. Corey Morningstar is an independent investigative journalist, writer, and environmental activist. Her recent writings can be found on Wrong Kind of Green, The Art of Annihilation, Political Context, Counterpunch, Canadians for Action on Climate Change, and Countercurrents. She joins us here at the studios of Radio Western. It's great to chat with you again, Corey. Thank you for having me, Michael. And joining us by phone from Boston, Massachusetts, is Bob Feldman. And Bob is a, uh, he's also an investigative journalist, and he is 
For more than a decade, he has uh, been researching the role of philanthropic foundation funding in compromising the perspectives of the alternative print and broadcast media that depend on such funding for their operations. So thank you for joining us, Bob. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. For the sake of those who might be skeptical-minded, um, what what would you say to, to those people who say, well, there's no quid pro quo? I mean, it's great that the, the Rockefellers or, or, or the DuPonts or whoever do, donate this money. I mean, we got it. We need that money if we're going to, you know, stop this pipeline or we're going to get the messaging out or, or set up this website. But, but all you have to do um, is look at the, what progress have we made. We have made no progress. I mean, emissions are through the roof. What are we at now? Now, 410 parts per million. Um, you know, countries are being all over. You've got um, U.S., NATO states all over the whole globe conquering, invading, occupying. You know, like we've really, we've made no progress. I know. Yeah, I and mean, the, thing, the thing about, uh, about it is that it, it's, it's since the early 1970s that the foundation money has been pouring in, uh, you know, con- trying to convert the, the environmentalist movement into, you know, sustainable development. I mean, Joan Roloff's in her book, uh, Foundations in Public Policy, you know, oh, yeah, mentions uh, this fact, you know, I mean, natural resources, defense council, CERA, you know, uh, club legal defense, all these groups, they've gotten this foundation money, yet it's 50 years later, and uh, it hasn't achieved the reversal. So we have to ask ourselves, why? Why has the movement, you know, why, why do we end up with, with Trump in, 20, in you know, 2017, in 2018, you know? And uh, there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of the information is, there, there's a new book out uh, by David Callahan, he's Inside Philanthropy, he's the editor, and it's called The Givers, Wealth, Power, and Philanthropy in a New Gilded Age. And uh, he has a, a, a sentence I'd like to read because it kind of summarizes what's happened. He says, you know, he says, like, like progressives uh, always talk about the right wing being funded by the right wing foundations and correctly criticize that. But he also said, but he has this quote, he says, progressives have been largely silent about how, quote, charitable and quote, dollars are influencing politics and policy, often with deeper impact than the campaign spending the left so fervently wants to restrict. You can see why progressives keep mum on this issue. Its advocates are especially dependent on philanthropy. And, you know, I mean, I, well, I, growing up, I always, I, didn't, I thought, well, foundations, uh, you know, they're helping the people. Uh, and then I read C. Wright Mills' book, uh, The Power Leap, in which he mentioned well, foundations are a tax dodge. And so, you know, I thought, well, yeah, but maybe they're still helping, helping uh, fund good things. But then uh, 50 years ago, you know, in 68 at Columbia, uh, and, you know, the radical students, SDS, you know, in alliance with Harlem and uh, the Afro-American society, took over and we made some demands. And then this police bust and then everyone was radicalized. Everyone was talking revolution on the campus. Then what happened is that to split the students, the moderates from the revolutionary students, uh, the Ford Foundation came in with a 
$40,000 grant for students to fund students for a restructured university. And the idea was that SDS was saying that what we wanted is we wanted a revolutionary society, a society free of militarism, free of racism. But the Students for Restructured Society, funded by the Ford Foundation, they said, no, let's just focus on changing the university, limiting the demands. And, and at that point, uh, it was a $40,000 grant, which is equivalent to $300,000 in 2018 money. And at that point, I realized that, hey, this is what the foundations are about, manipulating movements, insurgent movements. And, and today, of course, you have uh, not only an example of the, you know, the what wrong kind of green articles that Corey has, has written, explained, but you also have in terms of Black Lives Matter and, uh, you know, center, the color of change, for instance, got in 2017 uh, $7.5 million, you know. So it's an attempt to limit you know, and, and manipulate what kind of issues the, the activists are going to prioritize and what their tactics are going to be. Because if they get too out of the parameters of what the agenda of those who control the foundations are, and the foundations themselves are directed off my corporate, corporate direct, directors, then the funding ends. What you're saying there is quite interesting, and you're speaking of that split, a split between the the kind of uh, the kind of resistance they can live with and the kind that you know we we want to try to eclipse. And Corey, I just want to turn to you if if you could maybe help us visualize the the difference that you see this foundation. Uh, money making as it's playing out, like what what the environmental movement could be without the in, that the foundation money's intrusion versus what we're seeing coming out now. Yeah, well, I think um, you know you look back, and I mean, I wasn't there, but you read about even the Black Panthers and their breakfast programs, and actually tangible things in the community, right? And now today it's like, well, I'm going to give 50 bucks to Greenpeace this year. I've done my part. I mean, we don't have, we've lost that sense of community and working with each other as adults, as parents, as, as um, you know, as humans, where we need to take responsibility for our own issues. We've basically, um, you know, I think been happy to give these problems on to the NGOs as part of it. So, um, and, and like Bob was saying too, with the money, there's a lot of conditions. And so you get people, you don't, you don't even have to, have to censor and, you know, the people involved, the journalists, the NGOs, they, it's, they've become adept at self-censorship. And a lot of these millions of dollars given happen, there are five years. I mean, you get a certain amount every year. So, you know, if you bite the hand that feeds you that money, that check will not be there the following year. Mm. I know that there was a, a report that came out a few years ago by McDonald Stainsby and uh, Drew Oya Jay that commented on foundation funding and how it's distorted tar sands activism. And so we, we don't see the level of opposition to tar sands as a result. Um, yeah, I mean, the tar sands, one way or another, that oil will make it... F- 
to the market where there's a demand that oil, like water through a pipe, will find its way one way or another to, you know, to escape. Eventually it finds a route to, to get out. And that, what we don't talk about is if we don't want oil, what are we willing to give up? Well, in fact, we're willing to give up nothing because that would put a damper on economic growth and you need economic growth to keep this economic system going. Capitalism, if it stalls, it collapses. So we can't have that. So this whole focus on the pipelines, um, you know, you've got thousands of pipelines all over the whole planet and we put all the focus on North America on a single pipeline. Well, then oil quietly in the background all switches to rail. And then you've got William, um, or sorry, Buffett, Warren Buffett, ends up making billions, tens and tens of billions of dollars on rebuilding a rail dynasty in North America while everyone's focused on a single pipeline, right? No one notices it's it's all being done in the background and there's absolutely no dissent to that. And then that um, horrible, horrible accident in um, Montreal that killed almost 50 people um, from the oil, uh, you know, the the rail accident with the oil. I mean, now we have the same thing happening in BC. We've got oil being diverted to Portland and being put onto um, onto ships to Asia. I mean, that oil's gonna get to the market. So to not look at this, what you know, what is the purpose? Do we wanna stop this pipeline or do we wanna stop oil? If we wanna stop oil, what are we willing to give up? What are we willing, um, wanting to discontinue? And the nonprofit industrial complex, the NGOs, you know, that have the um, basically take up all the breathing room on the space, they don't want you to give up anything. I mean, there's no talk really of changing the way we live in the West. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is here, one um, percent of the populations creating almost all the emissions on the planet. There's a tiny percentage of people doing all the damage. Um, we don't talk about that, you know. So we're not talking about systemic change. We're talking about how can we have everything we already have plus have a lot more and do it in a clean, environmentally, ecologically sound way. Well, there is no way, mm. right? Yeah, and I know, B Bob, you... Uh uh, it seems to me, I mean, you, you've got an art, a series out right now on your blog, wherechangeobama.blogspot.ca. And I know that in one of the, uh, uh, it's part of a 14-part series. I think there are more coming. But I think you did mention that there was some awareness uh, way back when about the dangers of this kind of funding. And that, I don't know if the, the, the awareness just uh, went away or if people became indifferent. I mean, what? You know, what have been the changes or when did you see this, I don't know, acceptance of, um, of foundation funding as, as a perhaps a necessary evil or, or a vehicle for this, uh, uh, for pursuing, uh, whether it's media or, or, or activism? It started to a certain degree in terms of the, the Black Liberation Movement in the late 60s. They posed a, a threat, a systemic threat. And then... Uh, Ford Foundation came in and started, the, and Rockefeller Foundation started funding uh, black capitalism, you know, and poured in lots of money to the Urban League, uh, NAACP. And then within the, the anti-war movement and peace movement, uh, 
I think it's that it started in terms of uh, maybe the eighties nuclear freeze, uh, and so you had the the sad thing that uh, at that point in the early eighties. 800,000 people marched against uh, nuclear war in June of 1982. And then there was a contingent saying, well, uh, the Israeli military is invading, uh, is bombing Beirut, is invading Lebanon. We, you know, we're anti, we're, we're for peace. We should, that should be a priority also of this march. And there was a contingent saying that, but then the organizers said, no, you can't talk about, about, uh, Opposing the Israeli militarism, and uh, then the late eighties and nineties, early nineties. That's when uh, groups like Pacifica started seeking the foundation funding, and then uh, alternative media groups started to well, seek it and, and get yeah. it. I mean, um, look at look at democracy now beating the drums for war on on Libya, and I mean, I I don't listen to democracy now, but I am pretty sure Syria as well. I mean, look at our look at the so-called left beating drums for war. You know, like that's unbelievable in this day and age. Like, how can we fall for the same stories? You know, rinse, um, rinse, re recycle, repeat, like basically the same old stories over and over for so-called humanitarian intervention. And we have the left, um, the liberal left, you know, journalists and liberal left media, you know, completely, again, like going through the chambers, these pro-war, um, this pro-war propaganda. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's, that's the thing that uh, on, on Libya, Syria, and then also in 1999, on uh, the, the quote humanitarian military intervention in uh, in uh, Serbia, Yugoslavia, it, it didn't you know it didn't echo uh, Michael Parenti's opposition. It, it took a, a different stand, democracy now, which uh, demonized Milosevic, you know, uh, which which echoed. I mean, it was opposed to the war, but it echoed aspects of what the Democratic Party and the State Department was saying. And, and part of it is because on uh, situations like Libya and in, in, uh, in Syria and 9-11 and, uh, and, you know, and, and, and the 1999 war, if, if you get too, if, if you appear too anti-war, and not willing to concede certain points about about that the media is pushing about uh, the illegitimacy of the regime that that the U.S. government wants to change, whether it's Syria or Libya or uh, in, 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 in Serbia, then the funders, you know, the funding goes, and it's self censorship. Really, yeah. it isn't that uh, like like it isn't that Bill Moyers who's given. Uh,
uh, LBJ's aide for three years after Kennedy was assassinated. He maybe doesn't want that emphasized. And then, since he's Bill Moyers, he's redefined himself since that time. You know, people, they just won't get into that. And then anybody who's, who thinks, well, we should explore these, these particular historical events in greater detail, they're either called conspiracy theorists or the other thing is Johnny One Notes. The listeners aren't interested in, you know. But I think the thing about the foundations is that early in the 20th century, there was a lot of criticism on the left of foundations because it was seen as undemocratic. It was seen as, well, Rockefeller, Carnegie, they got their money by exploiting workers in vicious ways, exploiting consumers in vicious ways, uh, unethical business practices, um, making weapons of death in some cases. And these plutocrats shouldn't then be able to redefine themselves and 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 it was and fun groups on it was undemocratic that their power should be taken away but you got a situation now where they make their money in in immoral means and they continue to the foundations also invest in those corporations that are responsible for for the destruction of the earth and for systemic racism and for militarism, the foundations still have investments in those corporations, and at the same time they use some of the profits, the dividends they get from those investments to, to fund the groups which, which purportedly are either reporting on the, you know, on the harm done by the corporations or fighting against the policies the results of the policies of these corporations, and what's, what's left off the hook is the foundations themselves are tied in with the systemic problems that people want to see uh, eradicated. It's a way of the, the foundations become a means of the one percent to block yeah. the kind of these and kind of structural and systemic. I think our, our movements represent. Uh, very much a part of that same one percent. I mean, the the staff at Avaz make around two hundred k a year. I mean, we're talking elite status, and you can look straight across the board. Sierra Club, all, all the all the big ones, they're making huge six figure salaries. You know, some of them four or five hundred thousand a year, and then they're asking um, seniors to send in you know their checks for five dollars a month. I mean, it's. Oh yeah, democracy now is a good example. Like I was just, I, I glanced at it today before the, sh- you know, early in the morning, and I noticed they say, well, if you send in our money, uh, a supporter will match it three times, but they don't name their supporter, mm-hmm. exactly. the supporter. At the same time, they don't disclose on their website the, the amount of money that they've received in, in recent years from various foundations, like uh, you know, a former vice president of. Uh, Microsoft for 10 years, Rob, Rob Glazer, his foundation, the Glazer Progress uh, Foundation, uh, they've given 15, since 2001, $1.2 million, you know, to fund Democracy Now! And uh, Democracy Now!, you know, doesn't probably, I, I don't think it's done that many segments on exposing uh, the negative role historically and even currently of, of Microsoft uh, it's it's con- it's work for the military. Microsoft, for instance, 
just got a uh, $927 million contract to work for the Pentagon, provide software, uh, help the Pentagon do what it's doing around the world. And uh, part of why they might not do this is because at one point, one of their chief funders was involved with Microsoft for 10 years, you know, helped help build it up. But but part of why all the other things, also the economic thing, is that Amy, you know, Amy Goodman, she pay gets 160000 uh, a year, you know, total compensation. Most people don't know that. Um, the, the salaries, yeah, I mean, you had to get the salaries, you have to go look on the Form 990 that all these uh, NGOs file. And uh, it's often hard, to, you know, it's not easy to find because a lot of people either aren't going to look on it and often the, 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 the forms aren't completely filled out or not, if not filled out until later. But there's, you know, like Corey says, there's a lot of money within this NGO world, this nonprofit industrial complex, it's, it, and it, it, it matches, it enables people to, without working in a nine-to-five world, you get an alternative job and, and uh, live quite well, not live on the average salary of, of most uh, movement activists who are grassroots or on most working people, you know, in, yeah. in the in the world, you know, not, you know, not even the United States, you know. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcast out of Winnipeg on campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM and on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States. We are also podcast on the website, globalresearch.ca. That cuts you off from the, the, the broader grassroots community because you're sort of in a, in a separate world where you're more inclined to to mingle with some of those elites than with the uh your your you know feel that same yeah, sense of solidarity yeah, yeah. You're you know also the other thing is let's say we're in a movement group if if we all sit in the room and somebody and we all you know we're doing it uh, people are like you know working nine to five and then they go in the evening but then somebody else is, is, is uh, one person in the room. If you're talking about well, what are we going to do, uh, you know, about fighting what this corporation is doing or on this issue, the person in the room who's back as part of the NGO, you know, has the economic basis to have more influence, you know, and has you know over what's going to happen, you know, and and and, and but, I mean, there's, there's a group called. Plowshares, for instance, uh, the Plowshares Fund, and uh, they focus on stopping nuclear war. And you know, they, they, and they've gotten uh, since 2015, they've gotten 2.7 million dollars from the Rockefeller Brothers Fund. And then what they do is, and they distribute it to a lot of grantees. If you go to their website, you can see all their their grantees that they distribute and. Uh, like 20 of them within the, the peace movement. And those most of those grantees just focus on the nuclear war issue and don't focus on the wars that are being waged now that aren't, uh, that don't involve nuclear weapons. You know? Yeah, because you're, you can't talk about imperialism, right? Yeah, exactly. Right, and that, that's the common thing that, 
the, instead of building an anti-imperialist uh, revolutionary movement that would, you know, now that would go against the system, you, you have the foundations, you, you use the NGOs, you know, thousands of NGOs that end up fragmenting the movement, you know. And, and the funny part is that uh, when Bernie Sanders ran in 2016, he... Uh, and he talked about political revolution. He didn't talk about economic revolution. He didn't talk about uh, other, you know, other kinds of revolutions that we need, you know. And uh, but he used the word revolution. You know, I was thinking when he ran that all these, you know, if you listen to Democracy Now, or and a lot of these other media's mother, you know, this and 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 it's rarely any talk of allowing people who are calling for revolution now against the one percent using that word day in and day out, calling for an economic political revolution, you know. And instead you have a, a, a mindset which is what I call the 30-year, you know, gradualism, you know. Yet the thing is, you know, we, we need immediate change. You know, uh, uh, the Poor People's Movement is, is uh, talking about uh, when they're going to have their demonstrations Monday beginning, trying to uh, continue what Martin Luther King did in 68, it's gotten some publicity in the alternative media world, and uh, to an extent, it has some foundation funding. But it talks about the four things that people sh- could be focusing on, you know, which, which, which again would, would are fighting systemic racism, fighting environmental destruction, fighting poverty, and, you know, and fighting, fighting the, the, the war economy. Those four things could be people could unite on, on, but yet because we have all these. Thousands of NGOs, you know, and this fragmented movement, foundation subsidized movement, people are, you know, don't unite in a way that they did in, in the 60s around fighting a, a, a imperialist uh, society that's trying to keep the empire, you know, and, and you know, and has, is responsible for so many deaths the last. Uh, Thirty years, and then of course even before, you know, and, and and so you don't have the kind of reaction that they should have been uh, when when they attacked Libya, and, and in terms of the covert war in Syria, you know, that, that instead people are in the, these NGOs, in their NGO offices, in a fragmented way, and then calling, you know, demonstrations about this issue, that issue, this issue, that issue, and and yet if you Look at the starvation and, and the cost of the economic costs of, of, of imperialism around the globe. Yet there isn't this sense of urgency. And I, and I attribute part of it is because if each year the grant comes through to the NGO and then the NGO, uh, you know, calls its protests and, and gets some people out, you know, there's there's no you know they. It's, it's a different form of activism that we, than what we historically had. It's, and it's undemocratic because what's driving it is still the same plutocrats who, who control the, the corporations. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour. This week's show is dedicated to the nonprofit industrial complex and the parallel left. And it's being recorded out of the studios at Radio Western CHRW 94.9 FM at the University of Western Ontario. And our show, of course, airs on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States. 
I'm your host, Michael Welch, and I'm joined by uh, London-based Corey Morningstar and uh, from Boston, uh, Bob Feldman. And of course, um, just uh, following up on your, your last comments there, Bob, I, I wanted to draw attention to um, you know, some of the work that uh, some, a couple of essays that uh, Corey had written last year. And I'm just going to pull up a quote because it, it speaks to uh, not only propagandizing, but uh, social engineering. Now, here's the quote. Today's so-called environmental leaders and human rights activists are not yet gen- genetically engineered. Rather, they are socially engineered experiments uh, decanted from Harvard, Yale, Rockwood Leadership Institute, and other institutions of indoctrination that serve and expand the global hegemony. One could theorize that today's 21st century activism is a new process of mimesis, the millennial having assimilated into spectacle, far removed from both nature and reality. So I'm just wondering, maybe just just your thoughts uh, about this idea that, I mean, we're not just talking about propaganda lines where, you know, Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction, we got to go to war. We're talking about shaping people's behavior. So could I maybe get you to, to address that and how you've seen yeah, this It's evolving. like redefining. I mean, what's been redefined is, is uh, what you know, fighting the power is about, you know, what, what, what creating you know, meaningful changes. I mean, what, what's been thrown into the, in, what's been forgotten is, is the whole his, history of institutional resistance, just as what's been forgotten is uh, how, how the funders and the foundations have gotten Gotten that money? You know, it's a historical. I mean, part of like, I mean, I'm writing about foundations for, you know, since 1996. You know, I wrote for Downtown, which wasn't uh, funded by foundations, and and this time around, what I, I kind of realized in terms of writing it in the pay of foundations is, it's not. I couldn't like just mention. Well, it gets foundation funding, and therefore, hey, it, it, it's a uh, it's a synthetic kind of and a kind of morally contradictory, you know, that people wouldn't necessarily understand. I had it like because a lot of people they don't they don't they don't they don't understand on gut level that well why foundations what's what's so bad about foundations? So I, I kind of included more research as to well how did Henry Ford get his money? What did he what was he? What did he do? How was the Ford Foundation funded? What's its history, or how, or, or something like the Public Welfare Foundation? Uh, you know, what? How? What was it? Where did that money come from? What did they do? You know, what did? How did? How did Charles Mar- uh, Marsh, who was LBJ's backer in Texas and into oil? You know, how did he? get his money and to try to get that but but I think that's part of the thing is that people are uh, you know the people who grew up in in my time 50s and 1960s you know were socialized a little differently than than the people who were socialized later and then went to like you say the there's a whole thing of the whole prep schools and the elite most people don't know that Bill Gates for instance his his grandfather on his mother's side, Maxwell, was a, a big banker. Actually, the great 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 grandfather, and the grandfather uh, was also into bank, first into state bank, and left him a trust fund. This 
funny because they've used the rhetoric of the 60s that we're changing the world to perpetuate a vicious uh, imperialist system, you know. Mm. And uh, they get away with it because the thing you mentioned in terms of the elite students at all these elite universities uh, being socialized in a certain way, you know, and then also coming from a different generation than the 50s and 60s, they, you know, and... and, and I think they... I think people today think that history doesn't matter, that it's in the past, it's irrelevant, things aren't like that anymore, right? But the truth is these foundations um, are invisible, you know, that the NGOs are at the forefront and they play an invisible role. And today they're more powerful than they've ever been in the past. There's trillions, literally trillions of dollars pumped into the nonprofit industrial complex, which at this point, I mean, I was speaking to... um, my um, peer, my comrade Forrest Palmer, a couple weeks ago, and I said, you know, I, I feel like we need to start calling this the nonprofit industrial spectacle. I mean, it's just become absolutely ridiculous. There's a new NGO of late I've sort of started watching called Global Citizen. They actually, if you can imagine, they have rewards now for activism. Like, um, think of air miles. Um, all those points, rewards that you use to shop. So activism has been completely commodified to the point now the partners and sponsors involved with Global Citizen will reward you for doing an action with rewards, whether it's concert tickets, it's all tied into celebrity, which is a huge part of activism. Not to mention, aside, this really is the nonprofit industrial complex is an actual army right? This is an arm of empire. This is an army that's funded and paid for by the elites that um, fund fund this complex to perpetuate and protect and further their power, to extend it even further. And I think that's um, really important to, to understand. Um, that's what it's for. That's why the trillions of dollars, and they can mobilize their army um, I mean, if you look at the numbers, it's actually staggering how many people are are employed by NGOs and nonprofits, um, all which, you know, make up the nonprofit industrial complex. It's a massive part of the economy, just like militarism. And so they're able to really, really shape and mold entire agendas and actually whole society by mobilizing their employees, their staff. I mean, you picture, think of millions of people all um, basically echoing the, the same message through the media and, um, you know, the, the, all the different media vices. And all of a sudden you've created this huge, what feels like momentum, but it's all engineered. Yeah. You know, hence um, our, our, how we continue to devolve and how our movements continue to lose um, yeah, importance. Corey, I, I just wanted to draw to because I, I I read uh, like last year you you did an update on your research on avas mm-hmm. and purpose, which uh, you know purpose is uh, like they're they're linked, and uh, they are very notable because it links the in- environmentalism with the uh, the imperialist agendas in in, in Syria, and so I you know, just was just wondering because that, that is 
it seems to me it's it's taking that social engineering to or that yeah. to, to a new level. I mean, okay, so if you look back, there's uh, an old photograph I found. It's Bob Hunter, one of the original co-founders of Greenpeace in Canada. He has a T-shirt on, and um, on the T-shirt he has written across it, black marker, f- you, and he's at a meeting, right? He's sitting in on a meeting. He's all scruffy. It looks like he just came in from the garden or from work. I mean, you know, that was the real deal back then about real things, you know, um, protecting nature. Now today, um, Greenpeace is at the forefront right up there with Avaz, Oxfam. There's like basically a top 20 that works hand in hand with the UN and, um, you know, basically run the social movements across the across the world, mold them, shape them. Um, Social engineering, uh, um, tick, tick, tick. Like basically Greenpeace, 350, and Oxfam, which are the three biggest created tick, tick, tick. They took this um, type of social engineering to a whole new level. Um, in 2000, when was that? 2009 at COP21, um, you saw them basically undermine all the all the most vulnerable states in the planet at that climate conference, you know, and you look back at documents, Greenpeace documents from around 1990, where they cited one degree as a temperature that the planet could not exceed. Well, in 2009, they demanded a full two degrees, what the corporations wanted. So we continue to grow the economy at the expense of all life on the planet. So you can see that huge, um, you know, like, it doesn't even, it's not even the same thing anymore. These NGOs are are an arm of the elite. They're an apparatus of the establishment and, and empire. Um, so Avaz and Purpose, Avaz, um, Purpose is the for-profit PR firm, um, basically the sister org of Avaz. They take, I would say they're the most powerful NGO in the world, aside from 350, which was incubated by the Rockefeller Foundation and um, started um with the Rockefeller Foundation and the Clinton Foundation. Um, and, and again, that's hand-in-hand hand with Avaz, one of the most powerful NGOs in the world right now as well. Anyway, I mean, what they do now, we've been engineered to such an extent that we don't even notice. We no longer fight to to protect nature, to protect trees. We're fighting for, for windmills. We're fighting for solar panels. We're fighting to continue a very rich way of life for a small number of people. That's what the environment movement is today. And that's what I call um, not environmentalism, but anthro, anthro, like basically. Anthropocentrism. Anthropocentrism. Yeah, it's completely, it's pragmatism. I mean, it's full this is business. This is big business. Now you've got Avaz Purpose. The, the main overall arching campaign of all of them now is this huge push for renewable energies, which is actually a huge push for f- further imperialism. Green, you know, you can call it green imperialism, eco-imperialism. It's just as dirty. It's just another growth industry, you know, and today they want to basically um, – you know, steal from the treasuries, and now we're going to pump trillions and trillions, about $60 trillion, $90 trillion into creating, a, you know, a brand new, basically, infra- global infrastructure, renewable energy, which is 
what's that based on? That's based on further exploitation, further of, of you know, brothers and sisters all over the planet, mining, um, all dirty industry, further, further di- industry for a very few, you know, people. Yeah, beyond the part, the fact that... Uh that uh, lithium mining is not necessarily without its toxic uh, concerns and of course and other rare earth minerals which is mining um, this call for electrification of of the the grid um, at the it's not well, likely going to do anything no, I mean I think got, there was you yeah. got Bill McKibben right now in Africa report you know flying to Africa what do they need Bill McKibben in Africa for I don't know but they've got him him you know oh, what was the article I don't know Rolling Stone New York <laughs> Times what have you saying how amazing it was that he was in Africa and on um, this little village with you know their few solar panels or whatever they have now have they all have a TV. Well, what the what the hell do they need a TV for, mm-hmm. right? Like that's progress, you know. I I mean it's just upside down now with technology and our values, you know, and what we see as progress, and um, I yeah. Think, so, and I Sorry, think like ahead. the thing, you know, like you know that whole rap that Corey gave. It's like that's the kind of thing that should be talked about on uh, the foundation subsidized, you know shows that are on daily like, like democracy now i mean that's the but you know and and the thing is yet if, if you start talking about the ngo you know and the, and the foundations they, they that doesn't happen as much and so you get a situation where where people don't necessarily know what's going on and, and so that, that that undercuts the whole original mission of what an alternative left media was supposed to be about, you know, when you're, when you're not allowing a lot of dissident grassroots uh, movement people on there, you know. So I think, I think that's what's holding back uh, and what has held back, the, you know, especially the last 20 years, it's held back the, the, uh, the growth of, of a movement that's really effective, you know. I think we're running pretty much close to the end of our time. I was wondering if each of you might want to have a few suggestions about, you know, if we wish to uh, hold on or, or foster uh, the uh, you know, movements and media that are not uh, to be captured by these uh, elite interests with their hegemonic agendas. What advice would you make for uh, in terms of being able to to do that, to, to maintain that uh, sovereign and, uh, you know, make sure that we do get, make room for these uh, dissenting uh, uh, voices. 
Um, I'll go first because I'm probably far less optimistic than Bob. I I don't really have a lot of um, hope for that. I don't think anything's going to change a lot until it has to change um, some sort of catastrophic event or some sort of collapse, which will eventually happen because uh, this can't go on forever. But I feel like, um, you know, I often wonder if we've just been socially engineered to be so incredibly passive, you know, like perhaps we're not even, you know, we've just, um, we don't even have the capacity anymore to, to, to really, you know, fight the fight. We're just so incredibly passive and polite. And that's, you know, all a part of social engineering, even the, you know, even that aspect in the, the whole, um, oh, God, direct action thing versus, you know, you can't even, you can't even talk about tactics. Like it can only be nonviolent direct action, nonviolent direct action. Well, you know, and basically if you have anything else to say but that, you're ostracized, you know, and basically outcast. You're isolated completely. I mean, I mean you can't ask what is the Asada Shakur Shakir quote I, quote, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but basically you're begging your oppressor, you know, for, 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 to do what you want. Like, I mean, it's just never going to happen. And so I think we're really, really comfortable here. I don't see things changing. We're being trained to devolve where we're not educating ourselves, we're not seeking out information, we're becoming mentally lazy. You know, it's too much work to research, it's too much work to learn. Um, you know, you want all your information in 140 characters, you know, and, and without the history, without understanding the history of where we've been, of where the environmental movement's been, the history, the, the critical importance of the foundations and the interlocking um, dictate like a, 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 unless we understand how power functions and how it can use us to advance its own you know its own desires I think we're we're really just spinning our wheels mm. hey Bob, Bob do you have any thoughts about you know preserving a, a truly independent media and uh, grassroots activism going forward yeah, well, I think the thing is that uh, things can change, you know, very rapidly. I mean, uh, you had the the Occupy Wall Street thing, which uh, initially came from from at least a lot of the people from below, you know, and then uh, it, you push the idea of the one percent. Now, the, the you know. Media has the alternative media. If people press them at the same time and engage in what I call institutional resistance, there's so many. Some of the system is in crisis worldwide. You know, it's in crisis here. And I and the way I look at it is that the exclusion of grassroots dissident uh, radical left environmentalists and, and and others is a sign of the the weakness and, and, the, and the fear of those, of the 1%, those who hold power, because if they weren't afraid that uh, if they gave us access, uh, there'd be a response, you know, to prove that how, how liberal and tolerant they were, they, they'd allow, 
these kinds of discussions within their alternative media world and within the, the mainstream media world, you know. But I think the fact that there is this high level of censorship, the fact that, uh, you know, read global, read global research news, you know, all those people who are on there and uh, who get posted there, but you never hear them on Democracy Now!, you know, and the other shows, you know, I, th- I think that's, uh, that's because there'd be a response. And things can change very rapidly. I mean, we, 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 we can be in, in a, another in a big war. And at that point, uh, yeah, the, 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 there'll be an attempt to co-opt the movement, you know. But, but often that doesn't work. I mean, the lessons of 68 shows that they couldn't uh, co-opt at least for the two years from 68 to 70, you know. They, they had to then repre- repress. So, so I, I think that history can, can change fast. And the level of crisis uh, in terms of in terms of the earth, you know, is 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 so dire that uh, people might be forced to to uh, to press for for more immediate change. So maybe, I guess I'm not maybe when they have to change. <laughs> yeah, change. But I, mean, I guess I'm not as pe- as pessimistic as, as your core. The, the key thing, as I see it, is we have to is using the mass media power and, and that alternative media. To you know, pressing those who have the daily access to the fourteen hundred stations, you know, to let it on a whole range of people who have been excluded. Yeah, I guess. And on that note, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that uh, you know, uh, like for all those listeners who've. Uh, listen to this program, they probably get by now that, you know, philanthropic donations is probably not the answer. So that would be a, you know, probably an invitation to open up your wallets and, and, and support independent community radio stations like CHRW, like CKUW, as well as independent sites like uh, Global Research. And um, so... With that, uh, I, I think I'd like to. I think it's time for us to say goodbye now. So thank you very much, uh, Bob Feldman, uh, investigative journalist from uh, ba- yeah, Boston. Thanks for having. And your website is wherechangeobama.blogspot.ca. And uh, Corey Morningstar, and uh, thank you for uh, joining thank us. You, and uh, you can find a lot of her essays at theartofannihilation.com. Thank you. You've been listening to the Global Research News Hour. You can hear our program each week on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States. You can also download our show from the website globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. Many thanks this week to sister radio station Radio Western at CHRW 94.9 FM in London. For details on their station and programming, visit radiowestern.ca. Our next show will be dedicated to genetically modified agriculture, global food security, and the upcoming March Against Monsanto, and will feature a never-before-aired exclusive interview with Dr. Vandana Shiba. I've been your host, creator, and producer, Michael Welch. Join us again next week.